All right, thank you for coming. Um, so this panel is related to our one book, one college, Hamilton the Musical. Uh, so you've come to This Is Not A Moment, It's The Movement, Taking Action for Positive Change. Um, I'm just moderating, but my panelists will be sharing the ways in which they have made change in their communities and on campus, um, what has inspired them, how they've approached that work, and how you might also um, do that kind of work in your own life. So I'm gonna let my panelists introduce themselves and tell, them, tell you a little bit about what they do on campus, um, and maybe also a little bit, go ahead, with what kind of actions or activisms you're involved on campus. Hi everyone, uh, thank you for having me. Can you hear me? Yeah. <laughs> okay, my name is Nina Shulman Dijani. I am the Assistant Dean of Learning Enrichment College Readiness. And in our department, we serve um, students that are in developmental education, English as a second language, um, preparing for the GED exam, and then also the tutoring center also falls under our department. And uh, some of the things that I've been involved in, in terms of um, campus activism, if you will, is I would say um, supporting student organizations for several years, about six years, I was the Arab Student Union Advisor and I worked to support that club to educate the campus and surrounding community about um, Arab Americans, Arab culture, identity and traditions, as well as um, many topics that we covered for various events um, were based on dispelling the myths and stereotypes around Arab Americans. And um, a little bit later in the panel, I'll talk about some of my um, personal um, activism and things that I'm involved in in the community as well. My name is Jeffrey McCulley, and I teach sociology here at Moraine Valley. Uh, I'm also the advisor of the GASP student organization, which uh, GASP stands for Gender and Sexuality Progress. It's the LGBTQ plus club on campus. Uh, so most of my activism on campus has been associated with that club. And the two issues that I'll be talking about, and I'll talk more about them later, but just a uh, brief introduction for them, were to add gender identity and expression to the college's non-discrimination policy. Uh, so you know when you apply for a job, they say we don't discriminate on the basis of uh, race, gender, religion, nationality, Vietnam veteran status, or whatever other uh, protected categories there are. Uh, so through my work with the club that I advise, uh, we help the college add gender identity and expression to the non-discrimination policy, and we also work to increase the number of all gender, uh, gender non-specific restrooms on campus. And I'll talk more about uh, why that was necessary uh, later in the panel. Thank you. Hello, uh, thanks for having me. Uh, my name is Mike McGuire. I'm a faculty member in the communications department here at Moraine. I'm also the co-director of the Writing Center speaking and writing center here on campus um, and uh, I guess the self-appointed coordinator of a program I call act out now which is a, an education through action project um, and I'm also a member of the democracy commitment on campus um, I guess for the better half of, of a decade or so I've been integrating service learning into my teaching particularly uh, my um, research writing course com 102 uh, so each spring, I send about uh, 160 students out into the community, and we engage with uh, nonprofit organizations, partners in the community, working on social issues. Um, <coughs> uh, I also, um, as a result of that work, each for several years running, uh, we've hosted a service learning and uh, volunteer fair on campus, 
that I've called the Act Out Fair. Uh, this coming spring, that'll sort of evolve into the first uh, Act Out Conference for Civic Engagement, which will be uh, sort of have more of an academic slant to it. Mm. And I'm doing that in partnership with the Democracy Commitment, so Tammy's helping me out quite a bit with that here to my left. I'm also on the steering committee for the Moraine Valley Community Learning Day, which is a day of service for our campus, uh, staff and faculty. And I teach a service learning seminar through the Moraine Valley Learning Academy for faculty as well. So I imagine as we move forward, I'll talk more about my work with service learning, uh, particularly with my students. So thank you. Hello, I'm Tamara Coleman-Hill. I'm an assistant professor of English here at the college. I teach composition and literature. I'm also the um, faculty coordinator for the Democracy, Democracy Commitment, which is a um, national initiative that um, community colleges are members of around the country. And the goal is just to ensure that community college students receive a civic education. Um, I also worked for several years um, as an activist, somewhat of a lobbyist for a um, small uh, reproductive rights organization in Chicago called Black Women for Reproductive Justice. And I worked on um, policy issues as they relate to uh, reproductive health, um, if, um, particularly around issues that uh, impact women of color. Um, I was also a, a part of a team that developed a resolution to talk about the ne negative health, health outcomes of feminine hygiene products. We were able to present at the American Public Health Association in DC. We were also able to present in front of uh, medical professionals at the University of Chicago and to really get people to, to talk about and think about some of the um, cosmetics because feminine hygiene products are actually considered cosmetics um, that are out there and the um, harmful um, health outcomes of those particular products. All right, thank you so much. Um, can all of you talk a little bit with that introduction, um, a little bit more about the, the actions that you've taken, um, how you got involved with this work, and why it's important to you. And anyone can jump in. Don't feel like you have to go down the line. Sure. Um, one thing I also um, failed to share when I introduced myself, although I talked a little bit about um, the work that comes out of our department is some of the um, advocacy work that we do through our positions on campus to support ESL students and students pursuing their um, GED credential. Um, I tend to believe that our department, um, and we'll see what other people think, serves the most um, vulnerable population on, on campus um, because of the students that come to us from all around the world who know um, very little English. And some of them actually are very highly educated individuals with professional degrees and backgrounds from their countries, but they've come here for various reasons, um, sometimes because they come from areas of crisis, sometimes they um, are here just to start a new life um, after living many happy years in their country. Um, the reasons are diverse, um, as well as the reasons why students come to our GD program for many, many different recent reasons. They may have suffered from um, health issues growing up and weren't able to consistently stay in school. Perhaps they were bullied, perhaps they had family members they were taken care of taking care of uh, many different reasons. And um, because they come to us many times underprepared, it's our um, role to help support them. Um, administration and um, instructors do that in our department. And so although it um, involves my position here, I do consider it a type of advocacy because um, we have a very large campus, as you know, um, with many different um, programs and services and departments, and there's many um, 
opportunities for our students to gain support from other departments on campus, um, especially in the student services area. So um, sometimes we um, advocate on their behalf and educate them about, um, about the services that are available to them. And um, to me, that is a type of um, professionally related activism, if you will. Um, in terms of my involvement with the Arab Student Union historically, I am Arab American. I was born and raised here. I was actually um, born and raised in California and have lived in the Chicago area for about um, 11 years. Um, so I personally felt a connection, obviously, to the student um, population with Arab American background, but also I worked in the Office of Multicultural Student Affairs when I s first started here, and it gave me the opportunity to work closely with that club. And um, it's also um, a group that many others don't know too much about. If you watch the news these days, unfortunately, the rhetoric that surrounds um, Arabs, Muslims, Arab Americans in this country tends to be extremely negative. And um, I worked very closely with students on this campus to educate people about um, really the truth, <laughs> since it's not usually out there um, in the media. And our students and faculty and staff and community members that attended the events and participated um, always gave lots of positive um, feedback and said how much they would learn because they don't obviously always hear um, too much about the Arab community in a positive light, unfortunately, in the news. But also, um, as a child growing up, I was in a family that supported um, work that was focused on Palestinian activism. My parents had came here um, in the 60s um, from p occupied Palestine. And uh, my dad was um, always reminding us, always reminded us of where we came from and wanted us to carry that with us, although um, we were, of course, Americans and proud of that. It was very important to have that connection um, to Palestine as well. So we grew up kind of attending events in the Arab community, in the Palestinian community, and that stayed with me, I think, um, and really um, influenced what I did professionally and here on campus now. Excellent. <coughs> uh, so the, again, the two issues that I will talk about, uh, the first is the gender, or excuse me, the non-discrimination policy of the college. And this was a particular interest of the students in the club that I advise because uh, protecting against discrimination for gender identity is something that's actually protected in the state of Illinois. Uh, it's illegal in the state of Illinois for an employer to discriminate on the basis of gender identity, and yet this was not included in Moraine Valley's non-discrimination policy. Uh, so the students thought, well, <laughs> It should be consistent with the law. Now, the policy did state that all other protected categories are also included, uh, but the students, uh, they sort of asked in, in many of our club meetings, well, if some protected categories are listed, why aren't all protected categories listed? If race is protected, then they say race. If gender identity is protected, why don't they say gender identity? Why does it get subsumed under the all other category? Uh, so they wanted uh, more explicit recognition that gender identity was a protected category on uh, a protected category against discrimination on campus. Uh, so the students. Oh, sure. Uh, so gender identity is really quite simply who you consider yourself to be in terms of gender. Uh, so if you consider yourself to be a woman, that's your gender identity. If you consider yourself to be a man, that's your gender identity. If you consider yourself to be some other gender other than woman or man, then that's your gender identity. Uh, it's really just simply who you are in terms of gender identity. And uh, in a moment, I'll talk about the difference between that and gender expression. 
I guess I can do that now. Uh, gender expression is how you perform your gender. Uh, so, and uh, how you perform your femininity or how you perform your masculinity or how you perform your lack of gender as the case may be. Uh, so gender identity is who you are and gender expression is how you present yourself. Neither of these were protected categories uh, or neither of these were listed as protected categories at Moraine Valley, even though they were protected categories in the state of Illinois. Now, they're not protected federally, by the way. There's no federal legislation that protects these categories. But in Illinois, there is legislation, and it has been for some time. Uh, so the students in the club that I advised wanted the college to have an explicit um, recognition of this, of this protected category. So the students decided to create petitions that maybe some of you signed, I don't know. Uh, and they passed petitions around to really <laughs> wherever they could, whatever events they could go to, they brought their petitions um, to many library events, uh, they brought them to their classrooms, uh, they hung around the student union quite a bit and just asked people who were sitting at cafeteria tables to sign the petition. And they ultimately got, I, I don't remember exactly how many, but it was well over 200 signatures on the petition. And they presented the petition to the board of trustees of the college. Uh, and, th and the college did respond to those petitions and have added gender identity and expression to the non-discrimination policy. Uh, that was a pretty, uh, in terms of getting that work done, it was pretty easy considering it was kind of Illinois law anyway. Uh, so it's not, like, it's not like anybody could have too much of an argument against it since uh, it sort of had to be done anyway. Now, the bathroom issue was a little bit more uh, concerning. So I'll spend, hopefully maybe if I'm allowed, a little bit. Mm -hmm. I almost just want to hold it. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like a Whitney Houston or something. Hold power. Why I don't know why she came to mind, but <laughs> <laughs> why didn't she? Um, you can still hear me, or you can hear me again? Yeah. Okay, uh, so in terms of the restrooms, a few years ago we had an event, uh, the students co-sponsored an event with the Celebrating Diversity Task Force, uh, and it was, the Transgender Day of Remembrance, which happens in November. Now, transgender people, uh, just as a quick definition if you're not familiar, a person who's transgender does not identify with the gender that was assigned to that person at birth. So when the doctor's born, the doctor says, it's a girl. Uh, that person grows up and says, no, I'm not a girl. I'm maybe a boy, maybe I'm something else, but I'm definitely not a girl. That's what transgender means. I don't identify with the gender that was assigned to me at birth. People who identify as transgender experience significantly higher rates of uh, interpersonal violence, including murder. And as a result, uh, many institutions, including Moraine Valley, have sponsored a Transgender Day of Remembrance to you know, not forget these voices. When, when we had our event, we invited some speakers to come talk about their experiences. And we had one man who identified as transgender, one woman who identified as transgender, and a person who uh, didn't identify as either a male nor a female. Now the policy at the college, and just the general policy uh, that's enforced by Title IX legislation, which, which prevents discrimination in educational institutions on the basis of gender, states that you can use basically the restroom that you identify with. So if you identify as a woman, you use the women's restroom. If you identify as a man, you'd use the men's restroom. So for two of our panelists, it wasn't a problem. There was a place for them to go to the bathroom, because we had a person who identified as a man, he would use the men's restroom. A person who identified as a woman would use the women's restroom. But our third panelist, didn't identify as male nor female. 
Uh, and so we had a problem. If we're going to invite someone to campus, uh, <laughs> if you're going to be here for several hours, there might be a time, especially if you want to freshen up before the panel, uh, where are you going to go to have some private space to do that? So in the upstairs of the U building, they changed the two bathrooms on the second floor of the U building to be gender nonspecific, to be all gender restrooms that just anybody can use. And it doesn't matter uh, how you identify in terms of gender. Uh, in order so that way we could have our panelists, this one particularly, uh, be able to use the restroom while on campus. And, and this is something that we had been discussing in the GASP Club for quite some time because we did have many students, and we still do have many students, who don't identify as male nor female and who didn't have a place to go to the restroom on campus. Uh, this was a particular concern uh, because we would have students who uh, really just wouldn't go to the bathroom on campus, who would stay off, who would, who would wait till they get home basically uh, because there wasn't a safe place on campus to, to use the restroom. And this was several years ago, a student who's no longer at Moraine Valley uh, actually had multiple instances of having urinary tract infections um, from, from holding it in all day, basically. Um, don't hold it in all day, by the way. You get sick that way. Um, but this person didn't have a place to go. Like, what, what, choice, what choice did this person have that there's no place to go to the bathroom on campus? In addition to people who uh, don't identify as male nor female who are transgender, we could also think about the experiences of intersex people. People who are intersex are biologically neither female nor male. Uh, so it might be a situation, and there's many different ways that intersex happens, uh, but, but two examples might be uh, someone who has a, a testicle and an ovary. Um, be quiet. <laughs> Please. <laughs> it's it mostly because it's distracting for me. Um, uh, so a person who has both uh, one testicle and one ovary, well, where would we expect this person to use the bathroom, right? A person, and this happens in nature, by the way, a person who has both a penis and a vagina, where would we expect this person to use the bathroom? Um, if you're supposed to, if, if the bathroom is based off of your genitalia, if you have both, then where are you supposed to go to the bathroom? So we had many students who, who didn't really have a place to go. So, uh, so the GASP students again created these petitions and uh, a petition that explicitly asked for, which I thought was very bold and would never happen, uh, they asked for uh, one gender nonspecific bathroom in every building of every campus because we do have uh, two satellite campuses. And again, they brought the petitions to their classrooms and to library events and to the U building and all other sorts of places. And again, got well over 200 signatures on these petitions, presented them to the Board of Trustees. And this change didn't quite go as quickly as the other change happened. Uh, there was a lot of discussion back and forth about you know, whether or not this should happen, how this should happen, and so on. And uh, really, and, and this was a, a maybe two or three years ago now that, that these petitions were delivered to the board. Uh, but then over the past year, maybe you've noticed, uh, paying attention to the news, that there's been a huge explosion of in discussion about this issue. And uh, shortly after Barack Obama kind of came out and said, you know, this is really something that needs to be done, uh, the college really did step up and, and did something about this. And I would like to just reiterate that Title IX, this federal law that prevents discrimination on the basis of gender uh, and sex, does include transgender people uh, and intersex people. Uh, so in order to respond to the students' needs and in order to be in compliance with federal law, uh, this semester the college has implemented gender nonspecific bathrooms. And 
there's, I know that each of our satellite campuses has one, and most of our buildings on campus have one. I think the only two buildings that don't have one are the P building, which is the police building. Hopefully you never have to go there. Um, and the other building that doesn't have one is the S building, but it's connected to U and there are uh, facilities in the U building. Uh, so those are the, the how, how I personally got involved with those two issues is by working with the students who, uh, for whom that was their very real struggle. So that's it for this question. Great. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, I kind of took this question as a uh, invitation to, to, to talk about my life story just a little bit, which uh, may bore you, so I'll try not to talk too long. But uh, I think uh, service has always been a part of the fabric of who I am. Uh, my parents were people of service in many ways. Uh, not that they were especially engaged civically or uh, aligned with any kind of political or social movements, but rather by profession. My father was a police officer for over 30 years, and my mother was a nurse. Um, and she was always a nurse, you know, not just a, not just a nurse at the hospital or uh, at the clinic or the nursing home where she worked, but all about the neighborhood. You know, she was always uh, helping our elder neighbors and uh, always uh, really quick and uh, willing to lend a hand in any way she could throughout her entire life. And I don't know if she really recognized this, but, you know, I was always watching that. You know. And uh, um, I think the values that were tacitly imparted to me over, you know, my formative years, those of compassion and justice, uh, really influenced some of my academic choices as I went forward into college. Um, I pursued um, applied psychology early on with the aims of working in the mental health field. Later on, I gravitated towards education, uh, you know, where I am now. And I see, I see my job now as a profession of service. Um, but, you know, like most of us, life gets really busy and we really kind of get into our work and we have families and uh, we, uh, we sort of lose sight of things sometimes. About seven years ago or so, I started to feel that my values towards service and, and civic engagement weren't quite play, uh, matching up with my actions as well as I would have liked. Um, about that same time, I was also uh, becoming a little bit frustrated with my teaching uh, and with my students, to be honest. I, I saw, I perceived a great deal of apathy in them. Um, and I think I was becoming disengaged with my own teaching practice. But um, what I came to realize um, after kind of reflecting on that and doing some reading and, and um, talking to some others, that I don't think my students were really apathetic in so much as they felt powerless. You know, we would talk about issues and things that, you know, I was concerned about and worried about. Uh, and I felt like my students didn't seem like they were very concerned or worried. And, uh, I saw it as apathy, but I think what it really was is they, they were concerned. They just didn't know what to do. They didn't know how they didn't know how to engage on those things and how to make a difference. And after a while, that that can be frustrating and, and can look like disengagement. Um, so it was that that time that I decided to revitalize my teaching uh, and really aggressively pursue uh, service learning as sort of a, my pedagogy of choice, which is really um, uh, just to clarify what that is. I mean, it's really the bringing together of of sort of uh, intensified academic work with service with the community, uh, with uh, civic skills. So it's it's not it's not about volunteering per se. It's about working within the community on issues that are affecting our community, um, with partners in the community, with the hopes of of making a difference in in some ways. Um, so when I, once I did that, it really it really turned things around for me, uh, and I, I think for my students too. 
Uh, I don't feel like my students are disengaged anymore, and they don't seem apathetic in my classes. Um, and I, I'm not saying it's my approach that has uh, <laughs> caused that, but uh, I'm just saying that's what I'm observing. And I feel a lot more energized, too. I go out with my students on, on, on these, these things that we do. And like I said, each, each spring, you know, I, I really incorporate it heavily into my research writing course, COM 102. And each spring, uh, you know, about 160 students or so, because I teach five sections of that course in the spring, we go out and I go with them as much as I can. You know, sometimes activities are happening concurrently, so I can't be more than one place at one time. But I try to work with my students side by side, and that has given me a new perspective too. It's changed the relationship I have with my students. It's gotten me involved in my community in ways that I hadn't been for a long time. Um, so that's exciting to me, and I continue to build those relationships with those community partners even beyond my classes. And I've dragged my family along too, which <laughs> was which was important me, to me as well. Um, I'm a homeschooling parent, so I have one son, and we we've been homeschooling him since the beginning. He's 13 now, and it was always important to me to um, impart uh, the values of, of service and civic engagement to him, as they were, even if unintentionally, imparted to me. Um, so I I um, so I you know I bring him along, you know, and, and, and it's it's been really great all around. So. Um, I guess that's my how I got from there to here mm -hmm. uh, in a nutshell. So. That's great. <laughs> so um, I wish I could say that I had these really engaged parents who took us out to pick up trash in the neighborhood and clean up the beaches of Los Angeles because that's where I grew up or parents who really cared about the poor and they may have but that wasn't necessarily my upbringing at all. I um, actually I'm, I'm sitting here thinking as Mike is telling his story I, I'm thinking I don't actually remember a time where um, I served or did any community service as a kid growing up. So it wasn't necessarily a part of the outside environment in which I lived. But I do actually think that I came out of the womb with a fire in my belly for some, I don't know, you know, maybe larger cosmic purpose <laughs> and I've always had this sense of um, responsibility for other people um, connection to other people and um, a, a really strong um, empathy for the struggle of others so as I grew up and went to college and of course was introduced to a whole lot of things including feminism in college um, the, the root of my interest in civic engagement or in whether it's service or, or civic activity um, whatever it might be is really rooted in my interest in um, rights for women in particular. Um, so of course I focus a lot of my uh, coursework in undergrad and also graduate school on um, English courses and literature courses that really talked about gender and dealt with gender. Um, and once I, once I finished college, um, I started teaching here in Chicago at the community college level for a couple of years and then I got an opportunity to work for um, two years on a, a national fellowship called the New Voices uh, Fellowship. The purpose of that fellowship was to bring um, uh, new leaders, young leaders around the country to organizations to help them build their organizational uh, capacity. And so I was working with the Reproductive Rights Organization here in Chicago, a small um, nonprofit. And with my interest in feminism, I started to work with the community, particularly women of color, um, do education, work on policy, talk to legislators about issues um, related to um, reproductive rights and also reproductive health. 
But in that world, I was then introduced to um, issues related to um, uh, gender identity and expression and, and sexuality, and I learned all about what it meant to be transgender and the challenges that that, that particular community faced. Um, I connected with people who were working on HIV AIDS issues and, and how that affected um, different communities, N not just, um, um, well, in, in our work, we worked on HIV AIDS as it relates to women, but then I began to connect with people working on with other communities, um, communities around the world. Um, I connected with people working on immigration issues, um, the relationship between HIV AIDS and immigration and, and all of these sort of really complex problems that that exist. And for me, it I just sort of became this um, activists for everybody. <laughs> I don't even know if one issue is important to me anymore. I'm ready to jump and organize and get people going on any issue where people feel like there's an injustice and it's just kind of a part of what I do. Um, so I've brought that to uh, my classes. Um, I've worked a lot with uh, Mike. We've worked on different um, projects together in the last few years. I've been working with the democracy commitment here to really engage the, the campus community, not just students, but also our staff and our community to really get students to think about their role. Um, because I think that's a really important aspect of um, civic engagement is to think about what your role is in relation to the larger community. I just want to quickly read this um, quote from a um, a paper that was written on organizing by a professor at um, Harvard University. His name is Marshall Gantz. Um, Marshall Gantz was an activist, one of those hippies in the 1960s, and he actually worked with uh, Cesar Chavez on the um, farm workers' rights stuff in, in California uh, back then, and he now teaches a course and runs a program on community organizing for students at Harvard. Um, he says, organizing is, is a form of leadership rooted in three questions articulated by the first century Jerusalem sage, Rabbi Halil. And the quote says, if I am not for myself, who am I? When I am, not, when I am only for myself, what am I? And if not now, when? And Marshall Gantz says, these three questions focus on the interdependence of self, other, and action. What I am called to do, what others with whom I am in relationship called to do, and what action does the world in which we live demand from us now? And so I, I think with those sort of essential questions, I've sort of lived my life, not just in work, not just in my activism, but just every day, even um, talking with my kids about issues. I have um, an adolescent kid. I have two adolescent kids and a, and a younger daughter, and there are lots of social issues that I hear each day, and so we have to sit down and have these conversations, you know, about, you know, names that they're calling each other, and is that appropriate? And we've had to have a conversation about the, the, the Donald Trump sexual harassment, assault, whatever people are calling it issue, and I just feel like it's important for all of us to, to sort of uh, play a part and always be activists on these issues, not just when we are in front of a group of people and acting as leaders, but when we are just individuals living our day-to-day -day lives. And that's a great transition into kind of our next topic, which is really how can um, those of us in the audience, staff and faculty, students across campus, really start to identify the issues that they might be interested in? So if you're sitting there thinking, I'd like to do something to change my world or my community, like how do I figure out what that is? But then also, you know, what really stuck out to me about each of your stories is that you're not doing any of this alone. Like you're not going out and by yourself changing the world, you're doing it with a group of people. So how do 
in addition to kind of identifying what area might be what someone might feel most passionate about or how do you connect with those people who are also doing that work um, how and how might those things be related I wrote a few notes on this one and I did some reflection on my own experience um, you're time for this type of work really college is such a great opportunity um, to get involved in some things or at least to start learning about issues that may spark some type of interest um, like Tammy said not everybody had parents growing up that may have instilled or inspired them in some way to do this type of um, service right but somewhere along the line you may gain some type of inspiration um, for those of us that you know um, have the opportunity to be exposed to such discussions and um, your professor Hogan that brought you today is um, bringing doing you a great service today just by bringing you here to hear this and I know this is being recorded and hopefully many others will hear it as well um, you never know when that spark is going to happen so a take advantage of the opportunities that are available to you um, and you might feel some type of personal connection to a type of activism or advocacy work but you might not have a personal connection to that work um, naturally at all, but it's something that just interests you. And I've met many activists, I mean, as a student activist myself in college, um, also moving here in Chicago, working for a nonprofit agency in the city, I came across many people that had a personal link to the work that was happening in the communities, and then those that just were, um, you know, they would call themselves misfits, right? You wouldn't think I would fall in this work to advocate for Arabs and Muslims when you know, let's say I'm a heterosexual white woman from the suburbs that has never been even been around this type of work. But you meet those people that feel some type of compassion or um, some type of link to that community and just want to help. And, and believe me, I, the, the people that divert, that support various issues that we might think are only from specific communities, the people that support those issues are many times very diverse communities. And I'm sure that my colleagues would agree with me that when you go out and do this work, you find many diverse supporters and it's not always people that look like you, sound like you, um, or you know, are the same age as you and so on. So um, I would say to you today that um, if you feel like something is your calling, then go for it. If you don't know what that is, then just keep your eyes open and, and doors doors will open it may be through a research paper that you do and you, you uncover some type of issue and you find that that issue is something that you feel compelled to to lobby for or advocate for and so on um, if some of you are involved in student organizations here on campus you may have had opportunities through student life to visit Springfield and to um, go straight to legislators and, and do lobbying for example if that's something that doesn't interest you um, we're really like a hop skip and a jump away from the city where there's thousand different issues you can get involved in if you don't find it here in, in Kalos Hills and in, in our district um, but there are issues here on our own campus that you can advocate for like those that um, Jeffrey spoke about today activism doesn't come um, in one shape or form it doesn't have one definition um, you know as my life evolved and I have um, young children myself and with full-time work, it does get busy, and you try to figure out when you can fit that in, right? And then I started a doctoral program, and what I found was that I channeled my energy and my passion for advocacy through my research, and I ended up writing my dissertation on Arab American college students because I wanted to provide a voice for um, a population that many people are, don't know too much about, and especially in higher education, there's not a lot of research, or there's very little 
of any research on the Arab American student population. So that's how I channeled my energy um, through school, right? And um, I also teach at St. Xavier University and I teach in the Middle Eastern Studies program there. And in my class, um, which is called Middle Eastern American Issues, I have the opportunity again through service learning and, and other projects to um, focus um, on many different topics surrounding the community. And although I'm doing something I love, which is teaching, I'm also able to bring in some of my passion for advocacy in the classroom and many students um, feel inspired in that way as well. Um, so, you know, build connections across campus. Many of, much of the work we're doing um, intersects. Um, Mike has brought many of his students to our department to work with ESL students to volunteer in our citizenship and conversation group um, classes and support groups and I've been invited to participate in some of the activities that are organized through the democracy commitment. Um, we also have a citizenship program here on campus that prepares um, residents to prepare for the U.S. naturalization exam, and that's also related to our democracy commitment. So you'd be surprised to see how many links that you can make just you know, by reaching out on campus um, and how much work can be done together. Um, and also never give up. Um, one thing, I, I mean, it could be um, a daunting task to take on um, some of the very serious issues that we're facing in society. Um, but I would say stay focused, never give up hope, um, especially when you truly believe in justice. Um, and think about examples like apartheid South Africa um, and you know the, um, the fall of the Berlin Wall, these type of, type of things that people maybe thought never were going to happen but eventually did. Um, and as a Palestinian American, naturally I'll always um, never give up hope and justice. And so um, you know, with that, I'll pass it on to my Thanks, Nina. And I'd like to reiterate some of what Nina said when thinking about how do you find like-minded people. Uh, I think that when, when thinking about issues of social inequality, is, uh, it's often the same strategies that are used to oppress different groups of people, whether it's uh, racial and ethnic minorities or religious minorities or gender and sexual minorities. The same tools of oppression are used uh, for minority groups in many instances. So, so an easy way to find other like-minded folks are people who are experiencing a similar thing, but just in a different way. Uh, so for instance, in the club that I advise, many of our students are members of other clubs as well, um, Arab Student Union, Asian Diversity Club, um, uh, lots of different clubs. So it's sort of easy to kind of see some of the overlap. It just automatically happens, uh, how they can see the um, how again these same systems of oppression kind of work in different ways. Uh, so, so I do agree that, uh, that it's, it's if, you, if you look, you don't have to look too hard to find other people who are interested in the same issues that you might be interested in. In terms of trying to find ways of identifying the issues that matter, in the experience of our club, uh, it's actually been, <laughs> uh, it's been pretty easy to identify the issues that matter. The hard part has been trying to find out, well, which one are we gonna focus on? And uh, they've got a, a sort of a laundry list of issues that they'd like to that they'd like to focus on, and the bathrooms were an issue. The non-discrimination policy was an issue. Those were probably the two biggest issues that the students were focused on. And another issue that they're focused on is the economic insecurity that's associated with gender and sexual minority people. Uh, so oftentimes, people who are gender and sexual minorities, essentially people who are not heterosexual and cisgender. Um, are economically disadvantaged than those who are, 
by virtue of employment discrimination or being kicked out of their parents' house and no longer given a car to get to and from school, no longer paying for tuition. Uh, so economic insecurities are, are a major problem in the LGBTQ plus community. And one issue that the students have been talking about for several years now, which I think is their uh, next big issue, so get ready, Moraine Valley. Um, I didn't think the other two were going to happen, so I'll, we'll see if this one happens, is that they desperately want an LGBTQ plus scholarship. They see that uh, other, gen or other minority groups have scholarships that, that are put in place that help when, when people are economically underserved. So there are scholarships for people who are first generation college students, people uh, returning women students, various different racial and ethnic minorities uh, have scholarships. And here we have LGBTQ plus people who uh, experience workplace discrimination, uh, might be kicked out of their homes, like I said. Uh, there's a wealth of research that demonstrates that LGBTQ plus people are less likely to graduate college and that that impact is even more severe in the Midwest compared to the East Coast or the West Coast. So it's, uh, and part of the reason why, there are many reasons why why gender and sexual minorities are less likely to complete college. Uh, lack of role models, lack of uh, access to health and being able to go to the bathroom. Um, but another reason why they're not able to complete college is that they simply can't afford it. They can't afford it because their jobs don't pay as well if, if they experience discrimination or if their parents cut off their funding when they come out, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, so I think one of the major issues that they're discussing now is can we put something in place that helps when people experience uh, the, the sort of economic insecurity that comes with discrimination based on gender and sexual, uh, gender and sexuality? Uh, so for our group, I mean, the, the issues are easy to identify. Um, I could go on. There's, uh, there's a whole big long list of them. Uh, they, another issue that they would like to have addressed is having a preferred name policy on campus. There are many students who don't identify with their legal name, especially if they're transitioning gender, uh, go by a preferred name. And with our college system, everything relies on the legal name. Uh, so if you get a student ID card, my student ID card is going to say Jeffrey on it because that's my legal name. Um, but if I don't identify as Jeffrey and if I present as a, a woman and I identify as a woman, um, then it might be uh, quite a bit strange if, uh, yeah, for instance, it might be quite a bit strange if, if, uh, if my ID card says Jeffrey. For instance, we're in the library. If I go to the library and I try to check out a book and I present an ID that has a name that doesn't match with my physical appearance, uh, someone might wonder, well, is this really your ID? Or if I go to a movie theater and I try to take advantage of a student discount, uh, is, is the person who's working the ticket desk, is that person going to recognize, uh, are they going to accuse me of trying to use somebody else's ID? Or being outed in class, for instance. The first day of class is often very traumatizing for people who don't identify as cisgender, for people who are transgender, uh, because the teacher calls off the roster, right? It's also very traumatizing for people who are used to having their names mispronounced, by the <laughs> way. Um, the people who go by a different name, you know, if, if the teacher calls off Jeffrey, and now here I have to say, I don't go by Jeffrey, I go by a different name, well, then I've immediately outed myself to the entire class, which, which doesn't sound like a very good situation to be in. Uh, the discussion boards that happen online on Canvas or Blackboard are going to list the legal name. I mean, th the list goes on and on about uh, places where the legal name is used. So the students uh, have really been pushing to say, uh, we understand that there's, a, that there's places that have to use our legal name. Our transcript has to show our legal name. 
there, if we sign any legal documents, so of course that has to show our legal name. Uh, but the students would like to say, if there's, if there's anything that doesn't, does not require the legal name, can I then just use my preferred name? My student ID card is not a legal document. Like I can't, um, it's, not a, it's not a government issued document, it's a Marine Valley <laughs> issued document. Uh, so it's not a legal document. Can I have my preferred name on there? Can I have my preferred name listed on Canvas? Uh, when I go to an advising appointment or a counseling appointment, I would like that person to see my preferred name and not my legal name. Uh, so, so those are just a couple of issues. Uh, again, I could go on. There's a literally a quite a long list of things that the students are, uh, are working towards, and 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 I'm I'm pretty excited for them because they've been doing a really good job of of checking things off their list. So we'll hope that that these other major ones will be checked off here pretty soon. Thank you. Um. <coughs> Well, the, the question of um, how do we and how do you possibly uh, find issues that matter to you and how do you find like-minded people to support you along the way. Um, I mean, for me, uh, I, don't, I don't know if Tammy knows it, but she's been an ally of mine and an inspiration uh, of mine for a lot of this work. And, and a lot of things that I would like to do on this campus that I'm nervous about getting underway, I'll go talk to Tammy first and she'll <laughs> reassure me that we can get it done. <laughs> and that's true for you know all of my colleagues, um, so I think I think that's important finding uh, people who share your your values towards this kind of work. But I also think it's really important to seek out people who uh, who don't necessarily share your values, who have very different opinions about the kinds of things uh, you're concerned uh, about. And um, honestly, this is again something that Tammy has kind of taught me. I don't know if she realizes this or not. But uh, you know, I used to be, and I think maybe all of us as we kind of mature, maybe I'm just a little s slower in maturing, we go through this stage where we have like this righteous anger. You know, we see uh, some injustice and we're like, ah, oh, you know, and you wanna kind of grab a picket sign and, and march and, and yell at people. And sometimes that's called for, but a lot of times I, I don't think that gets a, a lot done. Uh, maybe that starts something, but there, you know, the real work goes on beyond that. Um, so. Seeking out like productive, honest conversations with people who have differing opinions fr from you, I think is really valuable, not only to help you uh, understand multiple points of view to better inform your position or to challenge your own position, but also to, uh, to understand where other people are coming from. And if your hope is to change other people's minds, you need to understand where their mind sits currently. So I think, I think that's really important. Um, generally, you know, listening to the conversation that's going on joining in that conversation. An another thing that I think is like really important um, if you hope to get more involved um, is to not feel that you need to know everything about an issue before you get involved. Um, I know that's something that I've struggled with through, through the years and I see other people struggling with it. You often times don't feel like you, you, you're just not aware enough. You just don't have enough to say. You don't know all, all the nuances of the of the issue, so the real tragedy is when you feel that way and you don't do anything. You just you're just waiting until you know it all, and you're never going to know it all. So um, I think it's it's um, much better to, to jump in and ask questions and uh, be ready to learn, but th through your action, not waiting until you feel like you've got it all before you ever act. Um, so aligning yourself with groups and organizations that share your values, you know, that's that's really good. Um, the idea of uh, you know not being alone. There are plenty of organizations who are who are already um, engaged on many of these issues that you might also be 
concerned with, um, you know, for people looking for practical ways to get involved. Of course, there are there are many organizations, but um, sometimes we are concerned about level of commitment. I know that's true. Um, you know, like I can't figure out what my number one cause is. You know, like you know, like I want to I want to have that one cause that I dedicate my life to, but I can't figure out what it is. So maybe it's education. I don't know, <laughs> but. Uh, um, just as a quick aside, that's why I really enjoy the service learning aspect of my class because I could try out a whole lot of different things <laughs> with my students and try to figure out what I really wanted to dedicate more time to. Um, but there are organizations who help with that very thing. Uh, some some organizations, if you were to get involved with, they would expect a level of commitment. You know, they would want you to, to sign up. Are you gonna Are you with us or not? But others aren't like that at all. Um, one that stands out in my mind is is a is a group called One Brick. Perhaps you've heard of them. They've got chapters all over the country. There's One Brick Chicago. And that's a really interesting organization because they're all about just like the one brick at a time, the idea like you can, you can show up for one thing, one, one uh, activity that is uh, meant to support something going on in, in the community without any expectation of further service. And they really try to build uh, a social kind of aspect to that, meet other people, meet other young people, get involved with people who may be like-minded or who may have different kinds of opinions so you can engage in those kinds of ways. I think they go out for a beer afterwards every time, you know, so One Brick Chicago, that's a kind of a neat little organization. Um, Chicago Cares is another organization um, that, uh, uh, and there are many like this, but that allow you to really try to look for populations you might be interested in working with or particular issues you might be interested in working on. Um, you know, and, and their website, of course, is very well developed. You could search t uh, based on your geography, you know, how close to home it is. So there are lots of ways you can, you can quickly get involved. Uh, if you don't even know where to begin, these are good places, I think, to start looking for opportunities. And even closer to home on this very campus, you know, I just bef before this panel discussion, I took a look at the list of student clubs and organizations, and there are many uh, on this campus, you know, that we've heard about already, some of which uh, that are very service-oriented, uh, the list that I was looking at, I, I noticed the Social Action and Political Empowerment Club, uh, the Political Activist Club, the Go Green Club, the American Red Cross Club, the GAS uh, Club, uh, Women in Action Club, and others. Um, so there's lots of ways that you can get involved just to see what's going on, see if it's something you'd like to spend more, more time with. Uh, one other thing I just want to say real quick, just in response to, to Nina's comment about um, how you tried to find time to integrate this work that's important to you uh, into what you're already doing. You know, I, I think that's a great point because a lot of what I've been doing, I, I think, it's a pattern as I reflect back on my life, is, is that I've tried to find a common thread to sort of unite the, the various things that I do, you know, my work, my academics, um, my interests. And it's, for me anyway, I, mean, I, th I think I feel very lucky. I think part of it is choices I've made, of course. But I think we could all probably find something that sort of, um, you know, like, at first glance, our experiences may look scattered, you know, like our involvement in different activities may look like they're all over the place. But I do think if you find something that is of interest and of concern to you, you can find that thread that unites them all. So none of it feels like extra work. It feels like work along the way towards, you know, where you had been heading all along anyway. So mm -hmm. that's something to think about, perhaps. Mm. Um, I think the question is, how do you identify issues that you care about and how do you get people to follow you 
to how to find people. Yeah, well, sure, sure. If you can make that happen, <laughs> then please give it. Um, but yeah, how you find other people who are uh, okay? How do you find other people who are also interested yeah. in that issue? Yeah. Um, in terms of finding issues that are important. I actually find that very easy, um, and I think uh, actually on the back of my minivan, my mom mobile outside, there's a bumper sticker that says, no one is free when others are oppressed. And for me, that means that everything is an issue. Um, because if somebody else is struggling across the globe, at some point, if that doesn't end, it is going to come home to me. And if I don't care about that, then I really don't care about myself. And that's how I understand the world. So picking an issue for me is not really that hard um, because everything is an issue. But that can be somewhat crazy and you can become neurotic because then you're worried about everything in the world. I actually went through a time when I really got involved in environmental issues and sustainability where I took all of the cleaning products out of my house and I moved them to the garage because I was panicking and saying, we're using all of these things, they're bad for the environment. You know, once I got them out in the garage, I kind of stared and I said, what now? <laughs> like, where do they go now? Um, but sometimes that can become overwhelming uh, but, but I do think that there are many issues that, that you can get involved with. But the, the other question, which I think relates, is this issue of how to find people who are like-minded. Um, one of the things that I've found in my life in general, and part of this I learned through my own writing. Um, I've been writing for the last few years a collection of personal essays on marriage, motherhood, feminism, and identity. And I started reading them in public spaces. And at first I was really nervous because these public spaces weren't necessarily spaces where there were just all women who were talking about women's issues and marriage and motherhood. There were all types of people, all different ethnicities. And I said to myself, these people are gonna think I'm crazy. They're not gonna be able to connect with me. You know, they are men in the audience. they are white males in the audience. And, and I say that because I was talking about issues that I thought were unique to African-American women. But what I found is that once I started to tell my story, to talk about my experience, other people immediately connected on some level and then wanted to talk about their experience and kind of share the somewhat collective or universal experience that we actually all are having. Um, and I, I tell that story just to say, you don't really have to look too far to find people who are like-minded. I think part of it is that we're afraid to tell our stories and to be open about who we are, and we don't actually realize that the person right next to us who may look different or you may perceive their experience as different is very similar to yours, and they actually do care about the issue that you think that they may not care about. Um, I have on my refrigerator a little magnet. I've got all these little sayings all over my life, but um, a magnet that says, stand up for your principles even if you stand alone. And I've also found that because I have been a person who, um, for whatever reason, whether it's that fire in my belly or some other cosmic reason, but I have been that person that is usually willing to put myself out there and get hit by the bus when other people aren't. Um, I find that when I do put myself out there and I think that I'm alone because nobody else in the room stands up, after that event, people will come up to me and say, I'm so glad you said something, I totally agree, right? And you realize, wow, People are just waiting for someone who has the courage to stand up for whatever the issue is. Um, so part of being engaged, um, to me, being a citizen, is really about being a leader. Um, so it doesn't have to be an issue that is necessarily your issue, but really being a leader and being what, what is often in the activist world called being an organizer is really about inspiring other people, moving other people to act on issues that might impact them. So I have ultimately found that I'm less interested in my issues now. 
I'm more interested in hearing other people's issues and really helping push them towards whatever goals they have and, and making whatever change that they see as important because ultimately that change is going to be important to me anyway. That's great. So to kind of wrap us up, um, we're all or you're all doing work that um, maybe doesn't have a particular end in sight or there's work that always then leads to other work. Um, as you said, like when one person is oppressed, everyone's oppressed. Getting that quote wrong, but it's <laughs> it's work that is ongoing, right? So, with that ongoing work, um, and with only so much time in our lives, like how do you keep yourself from getting depressed? Um, how do you keep yourself moving forward? Um, how do you take care of yourself when you're doing work and really entrenched in it, and it's p like really important to you, but not a lot is getting done. There's not really an easy answer for that question. Um, and everybody's situation is different. I constantly feel like this guilt for having so much being, you know, sometimes for feeling like I'm so blessed and there's so many others that don't have as much as I do, right? Like you just have to turn on the TV or scroll through the internet to read some articles and I'll come across an article about Syrian refugee children, you know, that are on the shores of the Greek islands, you know, because they died fleeing their country and I just feel like this automatic despair, right? And it's in our busy daily lives and work and everything, it's easy to you know, distract yourself with the things that are going on, but I think sometimes we do need those reality checks, to be honest. I am um, one of those people that doesn't hide from that kind of news. These are the kinds of things. I also have a background in international affairs and, and global issues in general are very important to me to um, stay up to date on and to keep track of what's going on. But of course, um, because of my personal connection to the Middle East, I pay attention to what's happening in the region quite a bit. Um, but what I remind myself of is that I have been given the ability, right, to whether it is through some type of advocacy work or if I can make a donation, I, you know, there's, um, we only have so many hours in the day and so much that we can do in terms of um, lending our time to different causes. But if there's something that I can do um, that's accessible to me to support such causes or if I see a cause on campus, I try to help. So like for example right now, and I'll just give them um, a shout out, the Muslim Student Association is doing a, a refugee drive where they're collecting items on campus and there's boxes on campus um, to collect clothing and, and blankets and things like that. So keep an eye out for that. Um, so when I see those issues come up, I, I try to do what I can to chip in. But in terms of um, not feeling burnt out or feeling sometimes stretched thin because there's so many different issues like Tammy said that you want to be involved in all of these different things and sometimes it's like where where's my priority list what can I do you can um, you also have to take time for self-care um, and I know many um, activists community organizers um, that dedi have dedicated their lives um, day in and day out to help many noble causes um, and sometimes when um, they don't, and from my conversations with them, when they don't take the time to take care of themselves, their health may decline. They may not be there for their families in the ways that they would like to. And um, because I have young children and I have a very busy life, one thing that I've always committed to is making sure that I make that time, um, you know, to to breathe, to reflect. Um, Self-reflection is extremely important as well. It re-energizes you, and you will do better work when you take care of yourself. I personally believe. Um, when you make time to take care of your health, 
you'll be there to show up for those causes that you believe in um, so much. Um, and some of us learn that the hard way, right? Um, but take it from um, someone like me that's done a lot of community organizing and as a student was a student activist and I um, believe in helping many different causes. Take time to take care of yourself, take time to reflect. Um, it will re-energize you and you know, find that quiet space for yourself to practice some mindfulness and meditation. And I, I have to remind myself, because I don't always um, take that time, but I'm um, asking you to take that time for yourself so that you will, in the end, sh be able to show up for the organizing that you care so much about. Uh, for me, I do have some issues that I'm concerned about that seem like they'll never change. Uh, for instance, I'm very concerned about the prison industrial complex and the way that it's brutalized poor people of color. And the work that I try to do outside of Marine Valley with regard to that, um, and a lot of times really does, just does feel absolutely hopeless. Like there's nothing that can be done to change the situation when we have a, pr a prison industry that makes money off of uh, keeping people enslaved. And, and they have a powerful lobby group that pays for politicians to run campaigns uh, which then reinforce their industry. I don't know how to change that. I'm only one, I'm only one brick, I'm, I'm only one person. I don't know what to do to change that. Um, but what I can try to do is to reach out to the real life people who are alive and experiencing that. So doing uh, letter writing to people who are in prison or going to rallies. Uh, earlier, maybe, maybe a month ago, there was the uh, prisoners' rebellion rallies that were happening around the country uh, in response to the Ithaca uh, prison uh, riots that happened several years ago. Uh, so trying to work with other organizations and uh, just to try to keep in mind that, you know, Rome wasn't built in a day. You know, things take time to, to get done. Uh, I'm not... Uh, I'm not a person who has lots of quotes and that sort of thing. I don't have the bumper stickers, <laughs> um, they, but but they are so helpful. They they crazy really are crazy cat lady. <laughs> <laughs> crazy cat lady. They they really are helpful. Uh, and one that one that I do like to hold on to that uh, that kind of helps me a little bit it comes from Martin Luther King. Says the arc of the moral universe is long, but it bends towards justice. So it's, it takes a lot of work, but if, if you look across the history of the world, um, we can see that, you know, hopefully it seems like we're getting in a better place. Uh, and uh, there's certainly a lot of work that has yet to be done, but hopefully tomorrow's uh, will be better than the yesterday's. Well, I was going to quote Martin Luther King, too. <laughs> 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 that same quote? Yes, yeah, every time. Oh. <laughs> That's so funny. <laughs> uh, Sorry. No, 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 no. Uh, the point is, 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 is that, of course, it's long and patient work. And, um, you know, obviously, you know, it's uh, going back to the idea again, you know, like you want to pick up the picket sign. Ah, uh, you know, like you expect everything's going to change the next day or you're going to click something on Facebook and it's going to turn the world on a dime. And, and we know that doesn't really happen. And, uh, I mean, if we expect that to happen, then we get very easily frustrated and start to feel perhaps apathetic and or, or burnt out. Um, Paul, Paul Loeb, you know, who is a, a, an academic who studies citizen uh, responsibility, uh, he says that we should connect ourselves to deeper currents of change, you know, to recognize, um, like, like the Martin Luther King quote, you know, that things do change. It's just very slow. 
it seems impossible, but over time, through the collective efforts of, of, of all of you and people, um, day after day, year after year, you know, things do change. Um, but, you know, that may not give much solace, you know, when we as an individual uh, don't see the change immediately before us despite our hardest efforts. But I think what could help on a practical level is if we organize our efforts the way like many not-for-profit organizations might, through a series of uh, kind of limited campaigns, you know. Uh, we can have these personal campaigns with shorter-term objectives. You know, what do we want to try to do uh, in the short term, recognizing that we're really serving a much longer-term goal? Um, I think if we do that and if we uh, sort of uh, approach our efforts from different angles, um, you know, after periods of time, we could feel renewed through these efforts. Uh, definitely taking time for yourself, as, as uh, Nina has mentioned, and especially taking time to nurture the relationships that sustain us. Um, this, this also kind of reminds me uh, something that you were just sort of, I think, alluding to, Jeffrey, the idea of um, this connection between the bigger issues that we might advocate for or become activists in the name of and service to individuals. I think sometimes we could feel renewed if we're, like if, for example, if we feel we're making no progress on an issue uh, like the like the prison industrial complex, right? Um, uh, we might engage with prisoners, right? Or if I feel like I'm making no progress on a situation uh, with respect to homelessness in Chicago, as I work with the Chicago Coalition for the Homeless, I might spend some time in the shelters in working with individuals and recognizing that I am making a difference at least in one person's life for one evening, you know, and that I think can be very re-energizing uh, as you attack the broader problem, so. Mm -hmm. One of the things that has really helped me is to recognize that I am only one person, there's only so much that I can do, and that whether it's the prison industrial complex or dealing with LGBT issues or dealing with the massive problem of HIV AIDS, those are big things that I'm not going to change as an individual. So then what is our role, right? So we, we sometimes become helpless because we think in our lifetime, you know, it's not going to end or the problem's not gonna be solved. But I, I, I've come to realize it took a whole lot, you know, putting some of those chemicals back in my house so that I could actually clean my bathroom. Um, of one, having a little balance. Um, but the other piece is recognizing that civic engagement is not always the action so much, but it's also the being. So if it's in who you are um, to care, to have some compassion for others, to desire some type of change, I feel like that sort of moves with you in whatever you do, whether you're getting a cup of coffee or teaching a class or whatever it is you're doing. Um, speaking of the prison industrial com complex, last spring I was um, teaching an honors uh, COM 102 course, um, actually paired with the philosophy course, and one of the issue areas that we had our students deal with was the prison system. And in this class, um, there were no um, there were no African-Americans actually in that class at all, um, but we did a bunch of readings on African-American males in particular and the prison system. And, you know, I'm always thinking, especially when I bring these um, issues that are related to particular populations and that population is not necessarily represent, uh, represented in the class, I'm always thinking to myself as a teacher, do these people really care? Are they really gonna get it? Is, you know, should I be bringing this issue to them? So anyway, w um, we did that and um, a couple of the students, they didn't have to write on that. They could have done their research on homelessness. They could have done their research on immigration. Those are two other so social issues that we dealt with. But many of the students gravitated towards focusing specifically on African-American males in the prison system. 
So they did their research, you know, they watched the films in class or did the readings in class. And after the class, they also, uh, uh, one piece that they had to do along with their research is after doing the research paper, they had to gather all of their findings and write a letter to their local legislators asking for them to do something on that particular issue. So uh, the class ended and about a month after, I got an email from one of my students who chose to write on, to focus his paper on African American males in the prison system. And um, he g sent me a copy of the letter that he got back from his legislator and he's like, Oh, Ms. Coleman, I'm so happy you made us do this. I didn't actually think that they were going to respond. I didn't really understand the process. This is awesome. You know, so he sent that. A few weeks later, I got a link from this student that was um, talking about the Justice Department's decision to put an end to, um, to private prisons, right? The for-profit prisons. And the student wrote in the email, hey, Ms. Coleman, did you know that the Justice Department is now, you know, deciding to put it into private prisons? What that said to me was just by that student being educated on this issue, he's thinking about this issue. So it's not always about, you know, is he protesting on the steps of the White House lawn because he wants the, you know, prison, prison industrial complex to go away. No, but now this student who is not a part of this particular community that's largely impacted by this complex, he can talk to other people within his community. He can share this information that he has, which I actually think is far more effective than me holding up, you know, the sign or, you know, standing on the lawn or yelling because I'm always yelling so nobody listens anyway. But for everybody to be educated. Um, so there are many ways that if you let go and understand that if you're doing good work, it will connect with other people. It will get out there and sort of um, permeate from that point. All right, we have time for maybe one or two questions, if anyone has a question for our panelists. All right, um, we are pretty much out of time, so I want to thank our panelists. Um, I feel inspired, I hope some of you are inspired to go out and do work um, and to think about these issues, educate ourselves about these issues, uh, seek out the places where we can make change. So um, if you have any questions for the panelists, I'm sure they'll be around, they're on campus, they're people that you can talk to and you know bounce ideas off of, so please reach out. Um, and of course the library is always a resource if you want to know more information about one of these topics. Um, you can definitely do some research here, so please reach out to us as well. Thanks for coming.